0: Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to share with you um, this commercial from Gatorade several years ago. I don't know if you remember it or if you're into watching TV at all, actually. (laughs) But uh, this one commercial had featured um, Derek Jeter and Serena Williams. I think a couple other uh, really top-tier athletes um, and then other anonymous athletes and just people that were exercising and running but it was about a minute long and i didn't have the video clip in time for you so i'm going to have to try to try to act it out I, my acting skills aren't that great so i'll cut it short fast i promise but the first screenshot is that picture right there winning is it's a scoreboard that's lit up like that and then the beat happens dun 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 Hard work, work, boom boom, boom, hard work, work, and it goes on for another fifty seconds, but i 'll spare you the fifty more seconds. You get the point uh, there was uh, that picture, and then after that, there are scenes of of people doing push ups and of Derek Jeter in the batting cage just working on grooving out his swing and Serena Williams her forehand and her backhand one after another after another and sweat dripping off and of course the Gatorade bottle comes up and then you have another athlete that hits the alarm clock at 4 30 a.m. and gets up and runs in the dark somebody running up steps somebody that was in the weight room just just going to town on 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 weightlifting all by themselves for an entire minute work work now, why would Gatorade just show you people who were suffering, people that were putting themselves through intense workout, even the top-tier championship athletes? The point is this. Without victory, you don't ha- you don't, without suffering, you don't have the victory. You have to suffer, and you have to go through the pain if you're a top-tier athlete to get the victory. And when you turn on the TV... And you see a world-class golfer uh, uh, chip in from, from 40 yards out. That didn't just happen by accident. They practiced. They had to put in a lot of suffering. They had to put in a lot of pain. And if you talk to the athletes themselves, they will tell you, it's not like they were just gifted by God with this talent, but they have worked on this and they have suffered. And, and, and the, same is, the same is true for the top-tier musicians and the top-tier doctors. They go to work and they work all the time. This, there is no victory without the pain first peter the book of first peter in your bible is all about the suffering and the pain of faith and peter's whole point that he makes and by the way peter has a phd in suffering the do's and the do nots you know who, you know who peter is the one of Jesus' disciples that Jesus called the Rock Man because he had this awesome confession of faith. Well, he, he talked big throughout Jesus' ministry. In fact, a couple of times, he was the first one always to answer Jesus. He was the first one to step out onto the water and walk with Jesus on the water. Remember that? He was the only one of the disciples that came out and just said, uh, Jesus, I'm going to go to die for you. But he sank in the water. And when the suffering came and people asked him who he was with, do you remember what he did? He denied Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. He knew what it was to want to suffer, but he, just like you and me, wanted to avoid suffering all that much more. Jesus rose from the dead. He forgave Peter, and he reestablished him as a leader in the church. And Peter writes 1 Peter to a group of Christians scattered across what is modern-day Turkey, And he writes to them and he says this, he says, suffering for the faith, not suffering because you sinned and you've caused suffering on yourself, but suffering because you're a Christian. And by the way, they were suffering big time back then. It wasn't like we suffer, like our bridges out kind of suffering, or I have to get on the road 20 minutes earlier because the traffic's going to be bad kind of suffering, but they were being tortured and killed for their faith. Peter says to them, when that happens to you, it's just like that athlete that goes through the suffering because they enjoy the victory so much. And Peter writes, and it's very applicable, the whole book, we just finished it in women's Bible study on Wednesday mornings. It's so applicable because you learn how to, um, this is going to come out wrong, suffer in marriage in a good way. That means to be a servant to the other person. And be okay with that. You're, you learn how to suffer in your job. That means that whether you have a good boss or a bad boss, you're going to, um, you're going to be a Christian in your job, a servants and masters. Peter, Peter talks about that. He talks about um, how we in our whole life is this life of service. And it's not about just feeling good all the time, but it's actually about going through the pain and the suffering that comes with faith. And he says, it's not something to be avoided. It's something to be embraced. It's a beautiful thing. Because you have victory in Christ. So, tonight, as we're in Advent and we're looking forward to the coming of Jesus at Christmas, Peter's going to write to us in chapter 3, and he's going to take us through the three secrets for suffering well. And your baptism is tied in. Now, he's going to go all over the place. He's going to go from here to there. To, and it, you're going to have to put your seatbelts on because he moves the thoughts along pretty quickly, Okay. But this is what he says, For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built." In it only a few people, eight and all, were saved through water. Peter's first secret, and there's a lot in there, but his first secret to suffering well is this. Without suffering, you are without God. When we ask and when, when we question God and, and we say, and you, have you ever heard somebody say, why does God allow good things to happen to bad people? Or bad things to happen to good people? Have you ever heard that before? When we think in our heads, God, why would you allow me to, to go through suffering because I am a believer in you. I'm a follower of you. Why would you allow pain into my life? Why do I go to school and I'm blacklisted by a group of people because I'm a Christian or maybe at my work? um, I'm persecuted in a subtle way for my faith or maybe in my community or whatever it is that we suffer for, for the faith. We ask God, why do you allow that to happen to me? And God's answer is this suffering is actually at the core of your faith it's not like God is up there in heaven and he's kicked back in a lazy boy and he's saying now you just suffer down there and don't complain about it this is what God did he came down from heaven and this is what Christmas is all about and he says I'm going to enter into your suffering where was Jesus born in a manger yeah Immediately, God began the suffering, even as a baby. He wasn't born into a high-class family. He was born into a middle- or low-income family. And he didn't have all of the luxuries of heaven that he deserved. He put himself underneath the suffering. He put himself underneath sinful parents, and he was obedient to them, it says in the Bible, all the time, perfectly. And then he, although he had many busy things to do as God, he spent time with people, And he spent time talking about the kingdom of God and about God's righteousness and about forgiveness. And he spent time healing them and he spent time without a house. In fact, there's this one place where Jesus says, you all have homes and even animals have homes, but I, the son of man, another word for God, the son of God, I have no place to lay my head. He gives it all up. At the very essence of your faith is suffering. And finally, and we talked about this last week especially, he went to the cross and he suffered for your sins to give you righteousness because you and I are the sinners. He went to the cross and you heard the graphic details last week of a crucifixion. If not, you can go back and listen to that sermon again, both at Austin and Pflugerville, because we, we talked about how that, that process of being flogged and, and being crucified was a slow excruciating death. Above that, God put the sins of the whole world on him. Without Jesus going to the cross, you wouldn't have access to God. That's why Peter writes what he does. He says Christ suffered to bring you to God. Suffering is a good thing. Sacrificial suffering, suffering for a good reason, is the best kind of suffering. Remember that when you're going through your suffering. Okay, now he really turns on the jets and he gets going into a bunch of other thoughts. But they're connected and you're going to see how they're connected in the end. He says he was put to death in the body but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. This is a new teaching that only Peter gives us. Uh, No other gospel writer, no other apostle gives us this insight. But the first place that Jesus went after he rose from the dead was hell. And you might think to yourself, but isn't he done suffering? He has done suffering. And he finished all that on the cross, the suffering for the sins of the world. Why was he going to hell first? The answer is in the word to make proclamation. In other words, when Satan and all of the demons and all of, the, all of his authorities that, 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 um, that militated against Jesus, when they're all popping the cork on the champagne and they thought, we got him! All of a sudden there was a knock on the door. And who was it? Jesus, alive. And Jesus preached to them like um, like a king would preach to a conquered nation. And he would write an official declaration and say to his people and to the other nation, we have victory over you. You can't bully us anymore. You can't invade us anymore. We've captured all of the key people. Surrender, we win, you lose. Jesus went to Satan's doorstep and he said this, You lose, Satan. You have no more power over Anyone, any of my children, death has been conquered, I'm alive today, and sin has been forgiven. He preaches that on the doorstep of hell. And then Peter goes on and says, To those who were disobedient long ago, these are other beings in hell, particularly people like we heard about during the time of Noah, who were particularly anti-God and had turned against God as a whole humanity. Um, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah, you see grace there. God did wait during the time of Noah for their hearts to turn to him. They didn't while the ark was being built. In it, the ark, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this is the image that Peter wants you to put into your head as you suffer. This is the saving grace of God and how he saved people through the flood. He didn't just drown people. The image is, that God sent the water from the heavens and down, we know, from the earth. The water came forth, this water that had been in the earth since the creation of time, and it created a worldwide flood. And in this flood, two things happened. First of all, all of the sin, literally the sinners, drowned at the bottom of it. Sin drowns, while at the same time, he says, the ark was preserved by the water. In other words, the water did two things. It buried sin and it buoyed up those who believed in God. Keep that thought in mind because it's going to come back when we talk about your baptism. The water, again, buried sin and it buoyed up those who God saves. He connects that next to baptism and that's where verse 21 comes in. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In other words, you have a direct connection in baptism to the work that Jesus did 2,000 years ago on the cross. And when you're baptized, Peter says, it saves you. Peter and Paul write the same thing along with all the other apostles that write about baptism. They say this. They say that baptism is a gift from God that's given to you. It's like a water tower. Um, maybe you can think about the nearest water tower to your house. It's like a water tower where all of Jesus' forgiveness is that he, he merited, right? 2,000 years ago, he died for the sins of the world, John 3, 16, and here's your house. You need that pipe to get the water, the forgiveness, to your house. Baptism is a means of grace, we call it in the church or the pipeline that gets you Jesus' forgiveness. It's not anything that you do for God. It's not anything that you dedicate yourself to God for. It's actually something that God comes to you and he says, you need this gift. And the gift is this, the gift of the water that's like the water in the flood. Again, what happens in baptism? It buries all of your sin and it buoys up a new life and a new person. Now, you might be asking, what does this have to do with suffering, right? What does my baptism have to do with all of the things that I'm enduring in life? Well, the answer is simple. One day, Satan's going to show up on your door, not literally, but he's going to pop into your head. And he's going to say, Dan, do you remember... Do you remember that time back in college that you did that really terrible thing? Do you remember that time a week ago, a day ago, an hour ago that you did that really, really bad sin? You know you're going through a lot of suffering right now. God is punishing you, I think, for doing all that bad stuff in the past. Have you ever thought about that before? That maybe something that you did in the past has a consequence that God's taking out on you today because of that sin? You know what you need to do when Satan knocks on the door and he tries to tell you that? You throw your baptism in his face. Because in your baptism, what does it create? It creates a clean conscience before God. In other words, there's nothing, and earlier, how many times did Peter say that Christ died for sins? One time, one time. And that one time was the time that God took all of the sins, your sins, your past sins, your present sins, all of it, And he put it on Jesus on the cross. So Satan can't come knocking on your door and trying to sell you that God is punishing you in your suffering for a past sin. Because in your baptism, you're connected to the forgiveness of Jesus. Tell Satan to get off of your doorstep when he tries to make you feel guilty during your good suffering that you're doing for the faith. Okay? Okay, so secret number two. Baptism gives you a clear conscience amid suffering. And then Peter goes on um, into uh, verse 22, and he says this about Jesus. Jesus has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Secret number three is the powers that cause suffering (coughs) in our lives are in submission to your Savior. The powers that cause suffering... Are in submission to your Savior. This is really important, especially if you're within earshot and you're suffering underneath. um, I'm going to say a corrupt government or a government that's really anti-God, a government that, or 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 a leadership group that persecutes you for your faith. Like you lose your family or you lose your home because you you confess Christ as your Savior. Know this: that Jesus Christ, after He rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and He's ruling over all of those leaders and all of those people that persecute. And those, two are going to come to judgment. In Revelation, there's this awesome scene where all of these, um, you can think of that altar over there, there's all of these people underneath the altar, and they're crying out and asking God, when are you going to avenge our blood? When are you going to avenge our blood? These are the, the words of the saints that died because they believed in Jesus. There's a day coming when God will make that right. The other thing that the commentators say about this verse is that Jesus is in control in God's right hand. That's a place of power of the angels, authorities, and powers who are the devil and his demons. Because here's the other trick that Satan is going to pull on you when you're going through suffering. He's going to come to your door again, and you're going to say, I thought I told you to get off my lawn. And he's going to say this. He's going to say, Dan, oh, that suffering you're going through, that's really bad. I'm sorry to hear about that. You know, Dan... If God really loved you, he wouldn't let you go through that suffering. Or, if God was really powerful, he wouldn't have allowed that suffering to happen in your life. What are you going to say to Satan then? You're going to throw your baptism back in his face. You're going to say, Satan, who was that that knocked on your door on Easter morning? Who is that that preached victory over you forever and took the sting away from death and took the sin away from all of those that believe in Jesus? You can't hurt them anymore, and you can't hurt me anymore. And do you know why I can say that? Because I'm connected to the water tower through my baptism. That's why Peter talks about baptism the way that he does is because in baptism not only do you have the assurance of a clean conscience but you have this power to stand up to Satan at your doorstep and say get lost. I don't have to go I don't have to go into your medicine cabinet of sin to try to fix what God hasn't. I like my suffering and my suffering is the suffering that my loving savior gave me who died for me and gave his life for me as well. The three secrets. Number 1. Without suffering you are without God. Number 2. Baptism gives you a clear conscience amid your suffering. And number three, the powers that cause suffering, they're all in submission to your Savior. And don't let anyone or anything tell you otherwise. You can say no to sin. And you can go through the suffering, suffering well. Because you're connected to God in your baptism. He's done all the hard work, work. And you, you get the victory. Amen.